Not long after moving to Sweetwater, I had an opportunity to participate in a special weekend retreat that some of you may have heard of. It was called the the Walk to Emmaus. And I really appreciated the walk and some of the things that that it helped me to understand better uh, in experiencing that that three-day, 72-hour journey. I was able to see grace, experience communion and feel forgiveness like I had never experienced before. It really was very special. Got to learn uh, so much about this idea of justifying grace and sanctifying grace and how we're called to align our priorities and seek Christ. And I watched lives literally change over the course of that weekend. In fact, it was so pivotal in my spiritual uh, growth that I began working those walks whenever I had opportunities Because I got to see people who didn't grow up in a church experience this Jesus and this grace and this forgiveness that they had never imagined. And it was in, they were invited into a relationship that was amazing to them. And to see that transformation was powerful. In fact, I I, I probably worked several dozen of those retreats that would come once uh, or four times every year. In fact, even after leaving Sweetwater, I had opportunities while in Hobbs to go back. And I even encouraged some folks here to come and join me. And Burnell was one who went, and I know Brad and Brad and Michael Cheney, some others have gone. And it was a really neat deal. And that's still today is a very special place and, and a time that I can remember how it, it really impacted me in a positive way. But not everything about the walk to Emmaus was perfect. There's some things that I didn't necessarily agree with. There's some things I didn't like. But there's one thing in particular that the, the very first time it happened and nearly every time after that, it really bothered me. As we got near the end of the ceremony, they had this special thing that they would do for us and they would hand out these lanyards, these, these handmade lanyards, and they would, they would give these to you and they'd put these on you and they would ask you to, to say something and then they would say something back to you. And so I can remember walking up there and they, they put this thing on you and we're supposed to say, um, I am counting on Christ. And then they would say, and Christ is counting on you. And that's when I was like, no, 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 he's not. He's not. I mean, I'm definitely counting on Christ. Like, I need Jesus in my life. But when they would say, Christ is counting on you, I didn't like that. Because God is too big and too good to need me or to be counting on me in any way. And it really bothered me a lot. And when other people had to do that, I just kind of cringed a little bit. And I wanted to say, okay, let's not do that part of of the weekend. You know, let's just, let's throw this out because clearly God does not need us. But doesn't God use us? I want to spend a few moments this morning And I want to look at some different ways in which God uses people that He doesn't need. Have we flashed up what we have on here? God could have done it better. 
I really think God could have done it better if he had just done it himself. But I don't, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want us to go to Scripture, and we're going to start at the beginning. Flat out at the beginning, God has created the earth. He has now created all the animals and everything that we have. And then we have this very, we've read it so many times, we don't think it's weird, but it's really weird what's about to happen. Go to Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. God is going to invite Adam to do something that I think... God could have done a lot better if he did it himself. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, I want to read the next three verses. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. That's good. I believe that. Okay, that I'm, I'm buying into. But listen to this. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. It starts out with the premise of, Adam, it's not good for him to be alone. And so let's go throughout and, and we'll have this opportunity for him to see all the animals. And in seeing the animals, he would name the animals. And maybe within that, he would find a suitable helper. Have you ever thought about what this looked like? Can you imagine all the animals that would have passed by Adam and he would give them a name? How long can you name animals and then start running out of good things to use? Now, I don't know if he would have given them the scientific name or the name that we call them in our common life, but I just think it's weird that that God said, hey, Adam, name the animals. Hundreds of hours would have been required as he ushered in the bear and the dog and the squirrel and the monkey and all the flying. And he says, oh, I'm going to call this, you know, a leopard. The thing with the big ears and the really long nose looking thing, that's going to be elephant. Couldn't God have done it better? Wouldn't it have been more creative? Maybe it would have been more helpful if he would have named it the big-eared animal rather than the elephant. It would have been so much easier. But instead, we get things like Philocus phalangia gigaidoids. I'm sure I got that wrong. I don't know if that's what Adam called it, or if he just said, wow, that's a daddy long legs. <laughs> but that's the name that we have. Or how about this? The Samakaride, I don't, I can't, somebody say Gesundheit. I don't know how to pronounce that. But it is the most terrifying name that you could have for any kind of animal. And I just learned it this uh, last summer while at camp. There's actually an insect that is known as the spider wasp. Okay, now all I know is this. 
There is nothing to me more terrifying than the idea of a half-wasp, half-spider flying around with hairy eight legs that can sting and bite you. Now, that's not really. It's a, a wasp that can kill a spider. But when you say spider wasp, I think, man, that's crazy. Why did God ask Adam to name the animals? Well, let's leave Adam alone for a little bit and pick on the group of people we love to pick on, the Israelites. Why would God ask the Israelites to do something that they can't really do? He could have done it so much better. But let's go to Joshua chapter 6 because there's an interesting story that we love to tell in Bible class. But I want to ask the question after we've read this again is, why would God involve people when He could have done it better Himself? Joshua chapter 6 verse 1, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Pause. We, I just have to say, I love how God says this. Jericho's down there. It's well fortified. You can't get in. People aren't coming out. And God says, Hey, Joshua, look how I gave Jericho to you. No, you didn't. It's still down there, and I'm up here, and the gates aren't open. But God has already said, look, I've delivered it into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Verse 3, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in in front of the ark on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go in, everyone straight in. Really? That's the best way to do this. Now, I know this is good for those of you, you know, who enjoy the band. You're like, oh, it's the first time we have a marching band. They're going around the city. You know, this is nice. The trumpets are sounding. It gives them something to do. But is this the best way to get into Jericho? Could God have done it better? Absolutely he could have done it better. I'm thinking fire straight down from heaven. I think that would be awesome. I just wish, just, I mean, just turn them into a black stain on the land. I mean, that's, he could have done it any number of ways. He could have sent in the spider wasp after. Can you imagine them trying to get out of that place, climbing over the walls? They could have kept the walls intact. There could have been so many different ways that he did this. He could have all given them some kind of sickness. But instead he says, hey, grab your trumpets. We're going for a walk. And they walk around and they walk around and they walk around. I think God could have done it better. But instead... He picked some people to do it for him. 
Well, God's not the only one who chooses to invite people into His story. Because even as we move into the New Testament, we see another example of how Jesus could have done something better, but instead He invites people to help Him in His story. We have in Matthew, as Jesus is feeding the multitudes in chapter 14, when Jesus heard what had happened, He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He would learned that His cousin John had just uh, been beheaded. Hearing of this, the crowds followed Him on foot in the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, He had compassion on them and He healed their sick. So he's already doing miracles in front of them, okay? They're witnessing miracles. He is healing people there. As the evening approached, the disciples came and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. How ludicrous of a command is this? You feed them. They said, These guys, there's a lot of people that are hungry. And they don't think of any better idea. They said, hey, send them off to the villages. They can go find something to eat. And he says, you feed them. We, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, we're going to see what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. He's going to take the fish, he's going to take the loaves, and he's going to bless them and break them and feed the people, and there's going to be numerous leftovers. Okay? But, could he have done it better? I mean, I'm not saying it's not a good story. I'm not saying it lacks creativity, but I'm thinking that God could have... Hey, we could go back to the Old Testament. He could have fed them with manna and quail. Wouldn't that have been really neat? He could have caused... Hamburgers to fall down from the sky. I mean, we've read about, you know, the cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Can you imagine all the things he could have had come down? He could have had plates, you know, um, instantly fall onto their laps with this food that they had never had before. All of these different ways that he could have fed them. A pizza delivery truck could have pulled out and just shoved out pizza after pizza. They never had pizza. It would have been amazing. And instead, he uses some fish and some bread and a little kid and some people. And I just think he could have done it better by himself. He could have just said, you are hungry no more. And just immediately everybody went, oh, I'm full. I'm satisfied. And and he could have talked about how he satisfied them just with himself. and They didn't even have to eat any food. He could have done it better. But he didn't. He didn't. Adam named animals. The Israelites walked around a city. And a little boy with some loaves and fish, help feed the multitudes. And so the question I want to close out with this morning is why does God invite less creative, inferior humans to do what He can do better, faster, and easier? Why would He do it? 
We're going to spend some time in class this morning exploring some other stories and some different individuals and groups of how God used them, but if God hadn't, He could have done it better Himself. I love the story of David and Goliath. It's a great story. But I want to argue it a little bit that God could have done it better. He didn't need the young shepherd boy to show up with some stones and a sling. But still, he calls a boy out of the pasture. And in the same way that David would leave a pasture to enter into an arena with a giant, God calls you out of where you are to be a part of His story. And He can do it better. And He can be more creative and more powerful, and yet He says, I want to use you this week. He could do anything that He wants. He could change what our newspaper would say every week. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm just heartbroken. I am just absolutely sick at what's happened just within a hundred miles in ten days. A man grabs a gun and goes throughout Odessa shooting people. Some kind of argument breaks out in, in Hobbs, and a bunch of college kids lose their life. We had a, a story just a, a couple days ago. Here in Hobbs, a senior, a girl, is goofing around and she's sitting or standing on top of her, a car. And she says, uh, they're, they're riding around in a parking lot. She says, I want to get off the car now. And the guy in the, in the driver's seat hits the brake. She falls off, hits her head. And before the helicopter can get her to the hospital, she's dead. I mean, it's just tragic. I mean, what, can God step in and change all of this? Folks, we're in a broken world. But He calls us to live in this broken world. To be the people who will walk around the city and pray for it. And watch walls come down. He's the type of God that says, I want you to stand before the giant. And I want you to stand up and say, this will happen by the power of God. He says, I want you to be the people that won't just simply expect that hungry mouths get fed, but I want you to be the one that will say, here's some loaves and here's some fish. Let's sit down together and let me feed you and tell you about Jesus. Because Jesus could do it better by Himself. But instead, He says, I'm creating a body of people that will go into this world. And that 
friends, my family. He's talking about us. What happens when we are invited into His story? It allows us to believe that our faith is more than just something we think about. It's something that we do. Because if our faith never goes beyond what happens while sitting in a purple pew, then we've missed out on what faith is. James, the brother of Jesus, goes so far to say is, if you have faith, but you don't act on that faith, it is dead. And here's what else it does. Once you start believing... And once you start acting, as that action comes into fruition in your life, you continue to build more trust and faith in God. God could have fed 5,000 all by Himself, and it could have been way better than bread and fish. But there was a little boy who went home that day and said, God used me to feed thousands. What is He going to do with me tomorrow? Let your name be written in His story. And I don't know what to make of this. But I believe that God wants to use you. And He could do it better without you. But He chose you to be a part of His story. And this week, let's keep writing the story of a God who works in a broken and hurting and fallen world. I'm going to say it. I believe He's counting on you. He has called you and He's equipped you. Let's go out this week and feed people and love people and forgive people and engage in lives and do it in such a way that when we walk out of the room, people say, Man, we must have a really great God. Let's glorify God this week. Let's be the people who share His story. I want to encourage you to begin that walk with us or continue that walk. Do it this morning. Commit this morning as we stand and sing a song of invitation.